the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. We are never left. We are not wrong. We are always right on AM 1420, The Answer. This guy, on the other hand... Sir, sanctions clearly have not been enough to deter Vladimir Putin to this point. What is going to stop him? How and when does this end? And do you see him trying to go beyond Ukraine? And a second question I'll just give to you now. This statement that he gave last night, will, that the, West, the threat that he gave, the West will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. Is he threatening a nuclear strike? I have no idea. <laughs> I should not laugh. What am I laughing at? The President of the United States was just asked, how does this end and what will stop Putin? And do you think he's threatening us with nuclear war? I have no idea. But if that doesn't inspire confidence, man, nothing will. Vladimir Putin made a statement that could very well be construed as a threat of nuclear nuclear war or nuclear attack or or perhaps the cyber attack we were talking about the the destruction of our grid our energy grid our electric grid our computer systems that run everything I don't know what he meant but here's what he said our sanction or I beg your pardon I'm sorry wrong line uh, I got to find it again here. I've got two different uh, pages that I'm looking at. And I want to give you the Vladimir Putin quote again. Here it is: To anyone who would consider interfering from the outside, if you do, you will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. All relevant decisions have been taken. I hope you hear me. Now that that's the the threat is not ambiguous in the fact that it's a threat. What that threat means is something that I would hope Joe Biden does have an idea about. Or at least give us a speculation about what it could mean. I have no idea. I have no idea how this ends. I have no idea what he means when he says uh, to anyone on the outside considering interfering. Uh, does that just mean, does that mean, you know, Western Europe? Does that mean NATO? Or does that mean the United States? I took it to mean the United States directly. So what do we do? And that's the question I'm asking you at 216-901-0945. What would you have us do? I just want to share this story super quick uh, that I was just I teased about with my daughter. I told you she had to write a paper. If you just turn, turn this on. I mentioned this last half hour. She had to write a paper at Hillsdale uh, for one of her classes. I can't remember which one, but it was about the – it's not the Constitution class. That was last semester. But um, basically compare and contrast the, the idea of interventionism and imperialism that our founding fathers put forth compared to our foreign policy of today when it comes to intervention. 
And it was a six-page paper. She shared it with me, and she, she did a wonderful job. Like I said, she got an A. She really doesn't ever not get A's. So I'm so, so proud of that girl. Anyway, uh, I read it, and I was fascinated with it to the point I wanted to have conversations with her. And we've been having an ongoing conversation about how that would apply today. And the reality of the situation was the founding fathers did not believe in imperialism. They did not believe in intervening in foreign affairs and going into other countries and trying to um, enact changes in them that would make them more um, uh, agreeable to us. Uh, that doesn't mean we didn't support democracies, but we weren't going to go into other places and try to institute and force democracies on people. That would be imperialism, trying to force the American culture or way on them. Uh, but interventionism, there was kind of a split thought. Uh, the thinking of the founders was largely, and this is all borne out in the Federalist Papers, the thinking of the um, of the founders largely was, we will intervene in other countries' affairs, when it comes to things like natural disasters, when someone is suffering, we will help, and we will put our resources and manpower into helping them, but it's going to be limited mostly to things like natural disasters, earthquakes, tornadoes, whatever. We will help other countries if need be. But when it comes to fighting their battles for them, that is not what we are here for. That's We're going to be non-interventionists. So that was the, the kind of the way the country was founded, but it has completely lost its way or dare I say, changed its way um, over 200 years, 250 years-ish. Um, because now, here we are. We're, we're, what, is, what is Russia and Ukraine from the United States, distance-wise? Around 7,000 miles, something like that? We're 7,000 miles away from this thing. And the discussion and the debate now here in the United States, including on radio programs like mine, is what should we do? Should we intervene? And part of the reason for that is because we do have, you know, a humanitarian situation here when we see women and children and civilians being murdered uh, uh, in cold blood by an invading army, we feel like we should go and help them. That is the intervention aspect. But the other is really more self-protective. You say, what do you mean? They're not invading the United States. Yeah, but the world has become much smaller since the day our or the time of our founding fathers. It has become much smaller. What I mean by that is, I don't mean population-wise. Obviously, it has become much larger. It's been, it's overgrown. But what I mean is, because of technology, something that was seven thousand miles away in you know seventeen seventy-eight is a little bit different than it is now because you can be there in a day. You can be there in a day or a day and a half. Um, missile range has shrunk in the world to the point where. Other continents can strike other continents with inter- ICBMs, obviously, intercontinental ballistic, ballistic missiles. And those can be nuclear tests. So in other words, we are in a lot closer proximity today, even though the mileage hasn't changed or the kilometers, if you're measuring it in Euro- European terms, has not changed. Um, it is much smaller. And so threats to other countries that seem like they're a world away aren't quite as far away as they once seemed. So that's that's one point. And then the other point is, of course, and this is the conversation she and I have been having. I asked her directly, what do you think we should do based on your knowledge and your experience in in studying this and writing about this? She said, I don't think we should do anything right now, militarily. Sanctions, diplomacy, fine, but militarily, because this would make us totally interventionists. We cannot go around and police every little action around the world. And she's right, in my opinion. And what I said to her after that was, but please be aware there is a but here, and the but here is, what if this isn't the end? What, what, if, what if Ukraine falls and 
Putin sees that we did nothing and then decides Belarus. Yeah, nobody will bother us for that one either. Or what if China, watching very closely, us do nothing to stop Putin, says now is the time. The Americans are weak and they invade Taiwan and take away any Taiwanese independence. What then? Now the United States will have stood by and watched as one or two or three different innocent, supposedly sovereign, should-be sovereign nations have been, uh, have been invaded and conquered by massive communist superpowers. At what point do we realize this isn't going to stop there? This is the beginning of something much larger. At what point do we realize this is the beginning of Putin's attempt to reconstitute and rebuild the, uh, the Soviet Union, which would then put the entire world at jeopardy, not just Europe, and not just Eastern Europe either, but the entire world would be in jeopardy, again, because it has shrunken. Would we then look back and say, you know, we had a chance to respond and stop this guy in the early stages of this rebuilding, and we didn't take it? Would we then be regretting our decisions? So these are, these are the questions that we all kind of have to answer now. Uh, and that's what I, and I told my, my daughter, I agree with her. I agree with her. Uh, no, we don't need to send troops over there. We should not be fighting over there right now. But we are going to have to do everything we can to try to limit the damage to what it has be, been uh, done with the worst sanctions possible, including swift banking sanctions and including the personal sanctions on the wealth and the ability of Vladimir Putin himself to operate, which is exactly what Biden says is on the table. And he told a reporter is still just on the table and refused to answer when she said, what are you waiting for? Why don't you sanction him right now today? Stop this in, in its early stages. And he won't say why. Will we regret not doing something now? Not militarily, but enough to stop him from, uh, from making this any worse. Okay, let's go back to it. We're going to go to um, North Olmsted, Stephanie. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Stephanie, go ahead. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. Okay, uh, here's my uh, thoughts. International banking um, founder, the Rothschild, his wife, Goody, said she had, of course, ten children, five boys, five girls. She said, if my sons didn't want war, there would be none. We have to look at where did all these wars start from? Did it really start from Russia? Or did it start from Europe? We have to question why now Putin is taking charge the way that he is and saying, don't interfere. Sometimes I think this, and this is just my opinion, just like we have all these caravans, trucker caravans, just like we have all these people in the streets, I think he is a part of the Great Awakening. He is not a part of Klaus Schwab's great reset he's a part of the great awakening okay with that said i don't want to say any more about that that's just my opinion number two about two years ago when you were off on july 4th you had some great guests on and they mentioned the name phil haney do you remember that of course i do yeah have you have you ever read his book i have Okay, and, uh, see and, something? And, and you're, you're aware that Philip Haney died under very mysterious circumstances. Well, I'm sure he was assassinated, but I, that book, I, I really think people should read See Something, Say Nothing, because so much came in to our military under President O. And so, so I also agree with BJ. This is going to come down to a religious war. 
and they're going to use religion just to um, bring America down from capitalism, basically. This is what this is all about. It's about money, power, and resources. And if they have to bring the religion in to do it, they're going to do it. So we have to quit calling certain people evil. We have to really know and listen to our whistleblowers, who many of them died just trying to bring us the truth. That's all I have to say. Well, I'm glad. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it, Stephanie. Two super quick responses. Number one, if we're going to point out the role of religion in world conflict, um, don't say that we can't just refer to it as evil. Because since when is evil not a concept um, in virtually all religions? There is evil. And regardless of whether you think it is Satan, Satan as we know it in the Christian world or, or, or um, you know, in, in the Jewish world as well or anywhere else in the Muslim world, whatever the, 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 the concept of evil is, it is driving a lot of the decisions that are, that are being made here, as you say, in many cases in the name of that religion. And the second part is about Filipini. I had him on the show right after that book came out. See something, say nothing. And we talked uh, about some extraordinarily important information. And for those who don't know, she's right. Read, see something, say nothing by Philip Haney. Um, because he is a whistleblower, one of the original whistleblowers um, that, that really pretty much blew the, the, the lid off of what was happening in our government. And quite honestly, I agree. He died under very mysterious circumstances, and I agree with Stephanie. I do not believe... Um, I do believe, rather, that he, that he was assassinated. I'm not saying he was Hillaryed, uh, but uh, but but spe- not specifically anyway. But I do not believe that he died uh, in the circumstances he did uh, that, that in a way that was not nefarious. I'll just put it that way. I can't accuse anybody of anything. I wouldn't be irresponsible like that. But I do not believe that he died naturally or in a circumstance that was understandable. In fact, there was no such circumstance. Thank you so much uh, for that really great call, Stephanie, to um, Gwen, calling us from Cleveland Heights next. Gwen, thanks for joining us. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Um, I love your show. It makes my day. Thank you so much, Gwen. I woke this morning uh, with a really heavy heart, thinking about, you know, Biden's off now playing war, mm-hmm. while our southern border is wide open. And everybody's thinking, well, where's China in all of this uh, with the present war? Well, I'm not convinced that China's not looking at our open southern border. And um, that's basically just how I woke up thinking, you know, Biden's real concerned about Ukraine, Mm -hmm. and we have open borders. So uh, that's all I was calling about, Bob. I love your well, show, and God bless you, and your daughter's wonderful. I wish I had her as a student. <laughs> she is, <laughs> and, and thank you for that, Gwen, and thanks for the call, too. Um, I concur. Uh, people who still don't understand the southern border think that the only people coming across are Mexican or uh, uh, from the central uh, or the uh, the northern triangle of the Central American countries, from uh, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras, they, they have no idea. 
at least 150 countries have been represented in illegal aliens that have come across this border in the last two years alone, particularly in the last 13 months since we stopped enforcing the border, stopped building the building of the wall, and so on and so forth. 150 countries. They're coming in from Muslim, uh, uh, radical Muslim countries. They're coming in from Eastern European countries and communist countries. They're coming from all over the place. And if you don't think, as Gwen just said, that China, perhaps our biggest and worst geopolitical enemy right now, or at least in a tie for first with Russia, if you don't think that they see that, that it's ripe for the, for, the, for, the, for the picking, and that they can smuggle people, and they can smuggle uh, things into the United States, there are more drugs being, for example, funneled into this country, and fentanyl than at any time in, in American history. Because of that poor southern border. If they can get in drugs, what else can they get in? What other materials that can they get in that might assist them in carrying out attacks on the United States and our homeland? China, Russia, any of our enemies. They are using our poor southern border against us. Which is why, and I'm not just sitting here being blatantly and blindly partisan and political when I say this, but which is why this is impeachable. It's impeachable. It is literally putting the safety and security of the United States people in grave jeopardy when we don't have a border. You cannot have a country unless you have a border outlining it and protected, protecting it. It's an impeachable offense. I'll be right back. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. A quick note for you. Um, since it is Friday, check out Noon Today wherever you get your podcasts. And there are a million different platforms that we're on. But check out the Stand and Deliver podcast from Citizens for Free Speech. Patrick Wood and I host a new episode. This is episode four. We just started this. It's episode four. And it drops today at noon. So wherever you get your podcast, look at Stand and Deliver. Today, uh, we talk about, in today's episode anyway, we talk about the Canadian Freedom Convoy and the heavy-handedness used by Justin Trudeau to quash that protest uh, and to punish those who did it. Are we watching the future of America happening north of our border? Is that what's going to happen to our protesters, particularly now that our own People's Convoy is on its way? It is on its way. It left California. It is en route right now, picking up more trucks as they go. It's going cross-country. It's going to be a few days before they get to D.C., and it should be enormous. But uh, we talk about that, and then also talking about the ongoing free speech uh, issues in this country, particularly as they relate to face mask rules on airplanes, airports, public transit. Rand Paul has a bill that he has uh, put forth in the Senate that he's going to try to get out of committee and get up there for a full vote to end mask mandates on public transit because of CDC acknowledgement that they just don't work anyway. So uh, all of that is a part of our conversation on Citizens for Free Speech Stand and Deliver uh, podcast. Check it out. It drops at noon today. Matthew is in Medina next. Hi, Matthew. Go ahead. Good afternoon. Uh, good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I was listening to your show this morning. Very good show. Very good show. Thank you, sir. By the way. And uh, anyhow, uh, your wife said she was talking to you about... Uh, 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 planting food in gardens 
Well, we we were talking about she. We were talking specifically about how much harder men were, meaning built harder, tougher, because they were able to you know chop their own wood, heat their own homes, you know build everything you know back in 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 the pre pre industrial revolution age, and how much harder they were. And today we're just a bunch of weak men and weak people because everything is done for us through technology, machinery, computers, and so forth. So what we were saying, or what we talk about, is what happens if all of that is taken away? What happens? happens if an EMP is detonated and all of our technology is gone and we have to live off the land again. Can we do it? Millions of us would starve within two weeks. I can do it, Bob. Um, uh, uh, Part of the curriculum, I went to school in the Cleveland system. And and, uh, when I went to school, part of the curriculum was that uh, uh, it was required that you plant a vegetable garden over the summer. And... It it was uh, graded by a, um, and I'll never forget her name, Mrs. Andrews came to my home, and she wanted to see my garden, and we went back and we looked my garden over, and it was judged on uh, how straight everything was planted, and if there was any weeds in it, and uh, I had a terrific garden, I can tell you that. We had tomatoes, we had cucumbers. We had radishes, lettuce. Well, you I'm gonna, I'll it. tell you we something, Matthew. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you to hold off on that there because I'm at the bottom of the hour. But I love what you're saying because it's – and thank you for the call. There, there are a lot of people – that have complained about what is taught and what is no longer taught in schools. And we talk about how you know they should teach home economics again. I don't know if any schools still have home ec, but being able to do things around your house, being able to sew, learning how to cook, being able to, to handle things for yourself. Um, they should teach simple personal uh, finance to teach people how to, how to bank. You know, how to, how to use checking accounts, how to use savings accounts, how to use uh, markets, and so on and so forth. And yes... While they offer, you know, wood shop or, or shop as they call it or, you know, any variety of those kinds of things to teach kids and, and I should say, I should say kids. I was going to say boys mostly. It's how it used to be, but teach kids, um, how to build things, how to have, you know, skills and tools to help themselves or maybe to get jobs in industry. And I think you're spot on. I don't think it's too soon. I think it should be an absolute necessity, given the threats that we just talked about, of locking and shutting down all of our technologies through cyber warfare. You better teach kids how to plant, teach kids how to sow fields, teach kids and and adults, quite frankly, how to grow things, how to hunt for themselves, how to handle themselves in ways that men and women had to in the pre-industrial revolutionary age. I think you're right. People might say, that's silly. Why should I have farming in my school district? Well, you better pay attention to some of the true attacks that could be facing us on a global global scale. And you may end up needing those skills one day. And I say this, by the way, as somebody who doesn't have them. I would be among those who starve to death within a couple of weeks because I wouldn't know what to do. 1031, news time now. Christina Hagan will join us next. AM 1420, The Answer.
American dream. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. We've been coordinating with major oil producing and consuming countries toward our common interest to secure global energy supplies. We are actively working with countries around the world to elevate collective release from the strategic petroleum reserves of major energy consuming countries. And the United States will release additional barrels of oil as conditions warrant. I know this is hard and that Americans are already hurting. I will do everything in my power to limit the pain the American people are feeling at the gas pump. He knows it's hard, he says. He knows it's hard. And he thinks the only pain we're going to feel is at the gas pump. And that's because Let's Go Brandon is so short-sighted, he doesn't even understand that pain at the gas pump means pain in the grocery aisles. Pain at the gas pump means pain in the clothing stores, in every retail outlet, in the auto parts stores, all of them. Anything that is shipped on trucks that use gas is increased, uh, increasing their prices. Inflation happens when your energy crisis happens. I heard one analyst say we are returning now to the late 1970s. In the next few months, we will see gas lines because of shortages. We will see extraordinary prices, the likes of which we have never seen before. Gas is over $100 a barrel now for the first time. Or oil, rather. $100 a barrel now for the first time since 2014 when Obama was president. It's going to go over 110, 120, 130 by the time this is said and done, the experts are saying. And your costs are going to be 4, 450, 475 a gallon. And your food, your milk is going to be $5 a gallon. The inflation we saw in the late 1970s as a result of the uh, Middle East crisis and our uh, lack of availability of, of oil and energy. And Biden stood, stood there and said this in that press conference yesterday. You just, I just played that clip. He said, I'm going to do everything in my power. Everything except what? Everything except open up all American domestic production. Maximize domestic production of all energy. Open up the pipelines. Open up the uh, 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 grounds that you banned for, for uh, uh, leasing on the... the um, Natural, natural gas drilling leases on federal lands. In other words, undo everything you did on day one of your presidency, you babbling buffoon of Brandon, you. Undo everything you did on day one. You waived the sanctions on Nord Stream 2 on day one. At the same day, you killed and crippled the Keystone XL. We bring in not 590,000 barrels of oil a day from Russia. Keystone XL would have produced... 830,000 a day right here. Our dependency on foreign oil and especially Russian oil is chosen. It is not forced upon us. You made those choices. Let's bring in Christina Hagen now as we do each and every Friday at this time. I know she's ready and raring to go with thoughts on what's going on in Ukraine, the impact on us here in the United States through inflation and more. Christina Hagen, former state representative. Good morning. Good to have you back. How are you? Good morning. Uh, yeah, I've been better. Uh, the last few days have been troubling for myself, for my husband, for our family um, to wake up knowing that war is um, surging and that stability is unforeseen uh, in the near future on nearly everything that our families count on in this country and all across the globe. Uh, it's troubling. You know, it's when your husband says, make sure you pick up 
flour and wheat and dry supplies um, before you come home after work today. Make sure you get those things. I mean, that's, these aren't the type of conversations we want to have, but they're the conversations we're having under a Biden administration. I mean, as you mentioned, on week one of his presidency, he dismantled American security through our energy independence. We were an energy producer. We were surging with energy independence and availability and the ability to protect um, and care for not only ourselves, but to be exporters. And now we're looking at a president who has instead um, made a deal with one of the harshest enemies in the world. I mean, to have the agreement with Putin, with Russia, that we would accept 830,000 barrels of crude oil from them on a daily basis rather than the 600,000 that, or I oppose, the 830,000 that we could produce domestically instead accept undercut our ability to produce here and then accept less by a significant amount from one of the world's most tyrannical leaders. Uh, it's hard to believe that we have a president um, who isn't treasonous on every front. Uh, this is, you know, and I, I think my guidance for everyone today is, um, of course, you know, keep your ears and eyes glued to what's going on in the world and prepare your families for um, devastating implications of lack of leadership and strength in our country and for the world stage. But spend time in the Word of God. Um, that's where we're going to find peace amidst this destruction. That's where, I mean, we know our world needs Jesus, and we know our world needs freedom. Those are two things that are undebatable, um, as far as I'm concerned. And both are um, diluted by this presidency, and freedom is quelched. And that's why we're seeing even the uprising of the convoys in the United States of America. That There's not a single thing going right in the Joe Biden presidency. So, yes, I have concerns for um, today. I have concerns for tomorrow and for my children and my children's future. This is a devastating time to just see the news. That's powerful. What a great opening statement. And, um, you know, it, it should it should kind of smack everybody in the face when you talk about making sure you bring home flour and, and, and things that you need to bake and cook your own food now because you may not be able to get it or at least be able to afford it um, in pre-packaged and pre-made forms uh, in your groceries, grocery stores. That's how serious and desperate this, this has become. So having said all of that, Christina, and, and acknowledging that the mistakes that were made previously – is what led to this, and I truly believe that Putin was emboldened by our weak, weakness and our, our pathetic withdrawal of our, our troops and people out of Afghanistan, turning Afghanistan over to the Taliban, a terrorist organization. I think that, along with our ridiculous decisions that have been made on energy, emboldened Vladimir Putin to take these steps. So acknowledging many things should have been done to stop this from starting in the first place, now that it has, what's your feeling what do we do beyond the sanctioning of the Russian banking system, their financial systems, maybe sanctioning Vladimir Putin himself? Beyond that, what should should our involvement be? Do we need to in, to involve ourselves in this thing from a from a physical standpoint? Yeah, it is. Um, it's hard to define that exactly, right? Because if we do too much or we do too little, we're in a direct war with Russia. Uh, <laughs> not a situation we should be in. I mean the. The ultimate circumstance is um, don't exert strength. I mean, for us to be weakened and to the point of vulnerability where we're answering to Russia's calls and intimidation to American force is the opposite of where we need to be. I don't know how we walk back 
um, what has been so poorly set up for them to be able to take charge and lead in this way. Other than um, surviving these 10 months of this Democrat administration who clearly can't undo what they've done and praying to God that we're able to salvage and maintain some form of reasonable, rational control um, within the next 10 months with a, you know, taking over the House. But as far as Biden, I mean, there there are no right moves at this point. I don't I don't see the path forward for Joe Biden's administration. Yeah. And, you know, you're right. It seems like if we do too much or we do too little, we're damned if we do damned if we don't. And it could involve us getting in, 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 into into a war with Russia. Uh, on a limited scale or otherwise. But we also have to look at the bigger picture here, too, in terms of the rest of the world. You know, Russia is not our only geopolitical enemy that has this kind of ambition. And many believe, many of the experts that you listen to believe, that uh, our response to this will dictate whether or not China invades Taiwan. Um, And and if it becomes a free-for-all where these communist world powers start just invading and and taking over territories uh, and claiming them as their own, and and the, the West, and especially the leaders of the West, which we are, do nothing you know at what point do we say man we should have nipped it in the bud when we could have yeah and that's you know that is a good point instead of talking about sanctions they should be happening instead of phases they should be feeling deep pain but my fear bob is that um evil world leaders like putin are not concerned about the prospering of their people in russia um the financial pain that we can implicate upon them um does not stop the hearts of evil men from moving forward on a plan that they've been executing for over two decades. I think we need to prepare an almost an isolationist type of way for the reality that Putin's actions and our lack of inaction almost immediately has set the stage for, as you mentioned, China to move into Taiwan. And, you know, my fear and concern is that without a strengthening of the U.S., uh, that we are vulnerable in some sense in the future as well. Yeah, I I I have uh, been fearing for some time now as I've seen the gradual weakening of our military and their concern. They're drumming people out. They're drumming people out for not having, you know, uh, taken the double jabs or or their boosters, and they're including people uh, and and. Uh, you know, with the process of diversity, inclusion, and equity, which spelled DIE, which is a pretty bad thing for a military to have as an acronym, but it's what they're doing. They're more concerned with the feelings and the pronouns of our of our, our military personnel than they are with military preparedness. Couple that with the feckless leadership of the commander-in-chief, and I think if we go to war, forget about Russia. Maybe along with China, you know, the, the, the biggest military superpowers in the world, Forget about going to war with them, but I think if we get in any kind of a physical military conflict, we're in deep, deep, deep trouble, because I don't think our military has ever been this weak. That's, that's exactly right. And, you know, by design, we say that a lot, by design. It's not unintentional. Um, you know, even hearing somebody like John Kerry, who once ran for president of the United States, talk about his concern and his hope, his hope that Putin um, will take concern for our global climate uh, plan. In the United States of America, these people are as high as a kite and as disconnected with reality as world leaders could possibly humanly be. Um, we need to, you know, set up our infrastructure in the United States to be energy independent immediately, um, work towards protecting Americans' interests and rights, beefing up our military, ensuring that we don't have the type of technological vulnerabilities um, that Putin threatens that he is aware of and knows of, and ensure that we are able to fight back and protect um, the greatest and the only 
um, surviving freedom for the rest of the world. If we can't do that, then we can, you know, if we can't protect home base, we can't protect anything. No, that, that's exactly right. Um, Christina Hagen, I wanted to ask you one other question in our conversation this morning because it has, uh, it has taken off. It started a couple of days ago, uh, in California. I'm not sure where, what the other stops are going to be, but the route has been laid out for the People's Convoy. It's America's response to the Freedom Convoy that was uh, up in Ottawa. Uh, truckers are crossing the entire country and picking up new, uh, members of the convoy along the way, uh, with the goal of arriving in D.C. in a few days, where they will not, I am told, and or at least I've read, uh, going to go all the way into you know the the downtown D.C. They're not going to go to the Capitol area. They're not going to bring all of those trucks to the White House. They're going to stop out the, outside the Beltway, and whether they clog traffic or whatever they do, I don't know. But whatever it is, they are going to try to make their case on behalf of all of us that we deserve to live freely and not under mandates. And my question for you is. How supportive do you think the American people will be when the already slow supply chains are cut cut even more, when the already emptying store shelves are emptied even more because of a convoy that is, you know, that is going to be needed to, um, uh, you know, to really to express ourselves to uh, the elitists who are who are taking away our freedoms? I think you. I quoted you a couple of times when we talked about this previously. I think you were the one who said to me, "Revolutions are not always comfortable." Um, in fact, they're not supposed to be comfortable, but um, it's getting closer and closer. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And I think there will be overwhelming support. Um, people's eyes are wide open. In this moment in history, we're fully cognizant of our vulnerabilities, of our weaknesses. And if we're not to, as the people, surge the elitists and the world leaders that are in our country that are not um, acting in a way that protects us in any form. If we don't take back our freedoms right now, we won't have a chance. I mean, I think about the simple act of um, the reality of this administration and then thinking about um, Ukrainians are under attack and their president is handing them firearms to help fight. Our president and his administration are trying to remove our firearms. I mean, just think about the irony of that in a world that we know that is um, unsafe by nature of the winds of evil. Um, our government is continually stripping us of our freedom, of our ability to provide for our families, of our ability to leave, to, to live, to purchase the goods that we need, to go to the church services, um, the, to allow our faith to flourish that fuels our lives and our livelihoods. Um, until all of America is free, these are righteous and worthy patriots and acts of patriots that will get us to where we need to be, because so long as they have this... Um, state of emergency in place, Americans will never be free. Americans will always be subservient to the government who will dictate the terms of our day-to-day lives. And I, I just, you know, pray to God that Americans are able to be supportive in such an important time. And I'm thankful for the courage and the convictions of the Canadians that have spurred Americans into action to fight back in the same fashion. Christina, that's the third time I think you referenced prayer in this whole thing, and I think you're spot on. You're exactly right. I mean, there's all kind of things we need to do to, do to prepare, but I think the thing we need to do no, most right now for ourselves, for the innocent victims in Ukraine and others, is to indeed pray for God's mercy and for God's forgiveness for everything that we have done wrong that led us to the situation. Uh, Christina Hagen, thank you so much, as always. I appreciate you very much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Bob. God bless you. 10.53. We'll wrap it up with a few more phone calls right after this. Always right. AM 1420, The Answer.
All right, final segment. Let's get a couple more calls in before we are done. Charlie has been waiting a bit in Westlake on AM 1420, The Answer. Next, Charlie, go ahead. Charlie, are you there? Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Charlie going once. Charlie going twice. Charlie going thrice. Steve in Collinwood, you're next. AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, I want you to have uh, peace in the valley. So if there's an EMP attack, if you have a classic automobile, Maybe before nineteen sixty four, it'll still run. Oh, that's it doesn't interesting. Have any of that stuff? I don't know too many people who have those. <laughs> oh, so the vast majority of the... my go ahead. My friend has a sixty one Impala, fully dressed, bowed, beautiful car. Do you have so one? He, uh, I have a classic, but uh, not pre sixty four. But anyways, if you do have one of those, they're a good investment. You can park in the driveway and tell your wife, "Look, there's an EMP attack. We go to Cedar Point. It'll probably be empty." <laughs> Except for the other people that have sixty-four cars, yeah, and and, and except for those, except for those roller coasters that won't work because of the EMP attack. You no, know, they'll get it running. It's just like this war; <laughs> it'll be over in two to three weeks. It's practically over now. He's not attacking any economic targets. He's only taking out their ability to uh, fight back. He's, well, he's taking out the government. He's they're 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 going to the Kiev. Kiev is, is expected to fall this week, and so will Zelensky. So uh, that you know that's a right. pretty, and they'll that's a pretty install something thing. interim, and they'll take this guy Saint Saint Zelensky, and they'll install him in Lviv right over the border, and uh, they'll have cars going back. They'll have he'll be the uh, he was in over his head. And, no, maybe uh, maybe Putin maybe Putin. Thanks for the call, my friend. Maybe Putin will uh, will install Hunter Biden as the new president of the new Russian-controlled Ukraine. That would make sense. Holly in Cleveland. Holly, go ahead. You've got forty-five seconds. Hi, Bob. Uh, I had a question. Since CPAC's going on right now, I was just wondering how come Tulsi Gabbard is one of the speakers there? As at one point in her her um, political uh, career, she was with that Young Global Leaders, which is the brainchild of Klaus Schwab. And that kind of concerns me. Yeah, I think Tulsi Gabbard has had something of a political and ideological shift. And thanks for the call. She was also a Democrat candidate for president, if you recall, in the primary season in 2020. Uh, but she was the most moderate of those, which is why she got bounced early in their very radical party. But she is expressing more and more and more of the conservative viewpoints that I see her in every interview that she does. So I don't think she is necessarily on that side, and that's why she's at CPAC. Thanks, everybody, for a great conversation today. Be safe this weekend. We'll see you Monday. Today, Be safe this weekend. We'll see you Monday. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.